0: So we could definitely not do our ministry without Radius. So thank you very much, Radius. We, we value you guys. Really, I'm going to get tears in my eyes. I don't want this opportunity because it does. It means that much to our families. They are very helpful in every day. The
1: partnership with uh, Radius has been life-changing.
0: So scene came about really was birthed out of tragedy. I lost my husband a few years ago and just from the different experiences and from walking through that and, and that journey, realized a few things that would be beneficial and encouraging to other widows. So scene was birthed out of seeing this desire for widows to come together, to share their stories, to be loved on, to be seen, to be known, um, that they're not alone they're in this that we can be in this journey together we can share with one another um we decided to have this nice dinner really wanted to be able to do it well we wanted to be able to have it catered to um just set it up like you're going to a nice restaurant a nice place with nice decorations and flowers and we wanted to be able to gift them with a special gift and um lots of other things, so that they could come and freely enjoy. Uh, So we knew that financially that was going to be a little more challenging uh, to be able to pull that off. And so, thankfully, Radius was able to provide a um, ministry grant for us to be able to to provide those things for them. And it really was so beneficial in making sure and seeing that we had a wonderful dinner. some beautiful gift boxes that the ladies were able to take home with them. Uh, Child care was provided for children that were able to come. We were also able to provide um, child care bags for them to take home so that they had a little something to make them um, feel seen and known and loved. And uh, so the ministry grant was really helpful in us being able to do that for these women.
1: Good morning, everybody. Wow, y'all said it back this time. That's great. Um, Good morning. I'm JT. If we haven't met before, I'm JT. Good to see you. Today, we're going through, continuing through our our Multiply You series. Maybe you've heard this series before. What Multiply You basically means, as we're trying to explain it, is you've been touched by Jesus. Maybe you know Jesus in this room, and you've felt the the spirit of God, the spirit of power and love and self-control, as we read earlier in 2 Timothy And you have felt the goodness, you've known the goodness of God, so you want to give that to somebody else. And so we're discussing how we actually do that. And so we're gonna talk about that and read today in 2 Timothy chapter three, the most important verses in the Bible about the Bible. So let's read them together. This is a guy named Paul writing to his spiritual son named Timothy, and he says this, he says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the holy scriptures or the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So so just to start us out this morning, here's, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you know the people that you love, your mama, your grandmama, and me, <laughs> and these three people you have seen live through horrible things, and yet remain with love, with kindness towards other people. You've seen us do it, and you've actually done it for a long time, so stay with it. Stay firm. And then he finishes this part of the passage with really famous verses, if you've ever read them before. It's it's 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture, Timothy, is breathed out by God and profitable or beneficial or helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those don't sound like the most fun words ever, but this is what the scriptures are. They teach you, Timothy, how to be the man of God or the woman of God and how you can be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what the Bible is. It is what equips us to be who we were made to be. So if you remember, Paul is writing to this guy named Timothy. And do you remember where, where Paul is at this point? Somebody shout it out, where, where's Paul? Prison. prison, Paul's in prison. And he is about to be executed, he's actually on death row. And so Paul is giving his last words, this is the last letter that we ever received from Paul. He's given them to his spiritual son, someone he loves so dearly, named Timothy. And Paul is saying this to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, my words are about to run out. They will run out here very soon. Because I'm not going to last forever. But do you know, there's someone's word that will never fade and will never fail and will never falter. And so, Timothy, my dying wish for you is that you would cling to this word and take it as your own. That's is my dying wish for you, Timothy. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about words. And we're going to walk through the entire Bible in a few minutes, which is great. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. We're just talking about rest. You're not getting that this morning. We're going to sprint through the Bible. First, just thinking about words. I was thinking about words this week and trying to understand, like, how do I explain what a word is to myself? And as I was thinking, we have so much that we think and that we feel, like so much, some of us more than others. And we try to take all that we're thinking and we're feeling and we box it up and we take these thoughts and feelings and we put them in boxes of ink, letters, words or boxes of sound and we package it up, sometimes we make the package look very pretty, sometimes it's not very pretty, and we send it to somebody else's doorway, hoping that we can somehow express all that we're feeling and thinking, and it arrives at their door, and maybe they can kind of understand what we're saying. The hard thing about words is that it really isn't a box, right? It's so hard to really express ourselves. We're so limited in what we are trying to show, what we think and what we feel. So you have one of two options, when people can't really understand your words. On the one hand, there's some people who send some more packages and then maybe some more and then they lock the door. But then you send some more and then you send larger packages and then you try to shove them down their throat and you just keep talking and you send as many words as you possibly can so that one of those words maybe will actually mean something to this person and they'll understand you. Then there's these other people. And they're either, A, they just never think or feel anything, or B, they get tired of trying to express themselves, and so they just stop sending words altogether. Either way, we have these things called words, which are our attempts at expressing all that we think and that we feel, and they're very, very, very powerful. Spotify Wrapped came out this week. Does anyone know what Spotify Wrapped is? Was anyone else a vampire in the room, or was that just me? Okay, great. Uh, some of y'all have no idea what that means. Spotify is an app to start with, and it's this thing where people listen to music, they listen to podcasts, they listen to all, that you, pretty much anything you can think of, you can listen to it on Spotify. It's crazy, it's incredible technology. If you don't know what an app is, I'm sorry, you're in trouble. There's, there's no help for you. Spotify is, is this thing where you can see all of And Spotify wrapped shows you what you listen to throughout the entire year. Why it comes out in November and not December. I really don't understand, but that's what they do. And they send it to you and you get to see like how many minutes you listened to stuff. You get to see who your favorite artists were and what your favorite podcasts were. And so you receive this and everybody's like, Oh, what did you get? All this, And you get to learn what it was that you listened to. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, the minutes, the so many minutes that I listened to. I kind of did some research and there's over 550 million Spotify listeners monthly. And most of these people are, are listening. The people that you and I would know are listening for either thousands or more likely tens of thousands of minutes on Spotify every year. Now, add that up in, in normal math and that's a couple weeks or a couple months of nonstop music 24 seven throughout the course of a year. Now that's just Spotify. Maybe you've got like Apple music or something, but what about your social media? What about your texting? What about the TV? What about ESPN? What about the calls that you receive? What about all these words that we have constantly bombarding us? Constantly. There's so many words and words really affect us. My dad says this thing and I was going to try to do his accent, but then I couldn't. So I'm not going to try. And he says, you add up your five best friends. You add them up. Then you divide by five. Whatever that is, that's who you're going to become. Because their, their words, their influences, that's who influences you. In the same way, when we look at what we listen to, what we take in, when we look at our top five listeners that we are allowing to speak words to us, beautifully packaged words sometimes, Christians take that very seriously. Why? Because words really matter. You know, the... the The God of the Bible takes words more seriously than any other worldview, any other religion, any other philosophy out there. And it's just not close. In fact, the people of God, the followers of God were known by everybody around them. Do you know what they were known as? They're called the people of the book. The Jews have always been called the people of the book because they cared about the words of God. And so they studied these words day and night. You know what God actually calls himself in John chapter one? God says that he is the word. Words are so incredibly significant. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about, I think maybe one of the reasons that we struggle to engage with the word of God, with with this thing, is because there's so many other really pretty words out there. And they're really well packaged and they look great. And they are great, and we can enjoy them. But what I want to argue today is that there is no word that is nearly as beautiful or as terrifying as this word. None that come close. So we're going to walk through the entire Bible, and we're going to talk about the word of God. And so we're going to need to pray before we do that. (laughs) Father, I just thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us a hunger for your words before anyone else's, for your words, Father. And Lord Jesus, as we receive a hunger for your word, I, I do, I just pray that you would starve our appetite for other words, that we would long for you day and night. So Lord, bless these simple words that I have trying to communicate who you are. pray this in the name of the word. Amen. All right, here we go. Are you strapped in or what? Here we go. Creation from the very start of the Bible. John chapter one kind of summarizes creation. Do you know what John says in chapter one? In the beginning was the word. word. Y'all are doing great. Come on. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Do you think John is trying to, to, to prove a point here? He goes on to say, you can see it, you can read it up there. All things were made through him. And apart from him was not anything made that was made. And in him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. Now, what is John trying to communicate from the very start? What's he saying about the beginning of all the world? What he's trying to say is that the word of God is life and the word of God is life itself and the word of God and no other word is life. This is the first thing we need to know about the word of God. Now, Does this passage remind you maybe of anything else? Do you see that word light? What does God say in chapter one? What are the first words that we get from God Almighty of Genesis? Chapter one, verse three. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You see, when God speaks, when the word of God comes forth, there's life, there's creation. It is only with the word of God that there's life. It is only with the word of God that there is life and light. The passage goes on. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. You know what what, what God says there? He actually says, then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Again, does that sound like anything to you? What does Paul tell Timothy about the scriptures? All scripture is breathed out by God. The scriptures, the word, this is the very breath of God. And in the breath of God, in the words of God, there is life. And nowhere else. The breath of God, we've received it. We've been given it, and this, this alone is life, which is why as you go on in this story, it's kind of crazy. You go on in this story, you get to this, you have creation, you know, like the hand motions that I learned when I was four, creation, then you have the fall. Genesis chapter three, there's a fall. You probably have heard about this story before, Adam and Eve, they have the word of God, everything's good, but then there's this guy this serpent that comes in and the serpent is Satan. Do you know what Satan means in Hebrew? It just means the accuser, the one who sends some bad words and twists things. And so when Eve hears Satan, and when Adam hears, they end up breaking the word of God. They break the commands of God. And what happens immediately when they break the commands of God? There is death. Chapter four, Cain murders Abel And God tells Adam and Eve that they are expelled from the garden. And not only that, but they are going to die. When the word of God is broken, when the word of God is not there, there is death. There is uncreation. And there's only creation and life when the word of God is present. And yet, even then, even after Adam and Eve break the word of God, God is not done speaking. Amen. The story goes on. You get past Genesis 3, you move on. There's this guy named Noah. He's got this big boat. There's all these happy animals or whatever, but also the world kind of ends for a second. And then you move on from that story and the people come back and you know what the people do again? Yet again, they break the word of God. And the people in, in Genesis chapter 11, there's this big tower that they built. So you have, the, you have creation then you have fall and you have flood and then you have this tower that comes It's called the Tower of Babel. And all these different people groups, all these different nations, they look at God and they say, We're going to take God. We're going to use him for ourselves because God's pretty powerful. So it would be nice to be able to chain him up and use him for our own purposes. So they're building a tower to try to reach and take God. And what happens when that is God says, You think you can take me? He confuses all of their languages, He creates languages, He changes their words. So that all of a sudden, there's all these different nations. But even then, God is not finished speaking. In fact, God picks one of these nations, a very small nation with this one guy named Abram, later to be Abraham. And Abraham's called by God. And when he's called by God, the Lord says this, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you. Bless the whole world through your line. And Abraham says, sound good? He has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons because he married a bunch of women, which we don't like. That's bad. And he also marries two of the sisters, which is just a terrible idea. And the Bible tells us that. And it's really wise. And Jacob has these sons. These 12 sons, they go where? They go to Egypt. And when they go to Egypt, they become enslaved over the course of history. And for 400 years, this nation, God's nation, who has rejected his word, becomes enslaved. And they kind of forget about who God is. But then, because the word of God is not finished speaking, he raises up a man named Moses. And Moses comes, and Moses can barely speak, and yet the word of God comes through him anyway. And Moses is supposed to tell Pharaoh to let my people Go. And what does Pharaoh say? No. no, not at all. This happens 10 different times. Each time there's a new plague that God sends on the people of Egypt. It's an incredible story. If you want to understand a lot of things in this world, you have to read this story. It's one of the most famous stories in all of world history. So it's called the Exodus. And every time that Moses brings the word of the Lord and Pharaoh rejects the word of the Lord, the king of the Egypt rejects the word of the Lord, there is death. Every single time. Do you see a theme in the Bible here? Eventually, Moses and his people escape and they are, they're let out. They go through the Red Sea and Moses receives another word of the Lord. An incredible word. One of the most important passages in all the Bible in Exodus 20. And we can read it here. And God spoke all these words to Moses saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You owe me everything because I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you know what this is the beginning of? The Ten Commandments. So essentially, here's what God's doing. He's giving his word to his people, to this one people that he wants to bless the whole world through. And he says, what if Moses what if you were to actually keep this word and hold fast to it? What if you had a community that never lied? A community that never stole? A community that never wanted what somebody else had, but you just loved other people because you loved God. What if you had that community, Moses? Wouldn't there be life, But what happens? Moses gets these 10 commandments. They're written on these stone tablets etched in there. And Moses takes these stone tablets from the mountain. He's going to go to the people of God. And what are the people of God doing? They're worshiping a golden calf because they got bored of the word of God and they, they wanted a prettier word. They wanted a more beautifully packaged word. They thought And so Moses, when he gets down to this people, he takes these 10 commandments and what does he do? He smashes them on the ground. He says, you have broken the word of God. And because of this, there will be death. But even then, God has not finished speaking. So Moses, even Moses messes up. there's another guy that's raised up. His name's Joshua. And Joshua brings the people into the promised land that God had promised them forever ago. They go into the promised land. And very quickly things start to spiral out of control because they've forgotten who God is. You get into the book of judges. If you've ever read someone, raise your hand. If you've read the book of judges, it is the most depressing book you'll ever read. It's terrible. It's it's despicable even. the last three chapters of the book describe in my opinion the most disgusting and horrific story in all of the scriptures and we're actually going to talk about it right now because it's it's really important for this and and, and here's here's how Samuel summarizes this time Samuel's writing at the same time Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 and the word of the Lord was rare in those days when the word of the Lord is absent with the story that I'm about to tell you is what happens so the end of Judges, you get to this point, they've forgotten the word of God. And there's this man, who's the main character of this story. And he has a, a concubine or a mistress, kind of a slave mistress woman. And he takes her and he goes and brings her into this city called Gabia, And when he goes to the city, Gebeah, he he looks for a place to stay, but no one's offering him a place to stay because no one is hospitable in this place. And if you know Middle Eastern culture, No hospitality is about the worst thing you can possibly do. No one's going to give them a place to stay. So a foreigner, a stranger, an outsider, the the last person who should be helping them grabs this guy and takes him into his own home. And when he takes him into his home, he says, be careful. (laughs) You don't know what those people are like out there. That night, the people out there, the men of the town come banging on this door. And they ask for the man in there. They say, we know that this man has come. Send him out so that we can. Rape is the right word here. But the man in his fear, and he's just as despicable as anyone else in the story. He takes the woman and he throws her out the door. He says, have her instead. And they do. The next day, the man goes outside, and he finds the woman, and she's dead. So what does he do? He does something that's even more horrible than anything else before. He cuts her up into pieces, and he sends her out through all of Israel. And he says, this is what happened. And when Israel sees this, something clicks. Because sometimes when we're away from the Lord for a long time, it takes us a moment of Absolute evil or just absolute darkness to realize that we need the light. And so the people of Israel say, This has never happened in all of Israel before. We've got to fix something about this. And so, well, you know what they do? They ask for a king. And so, this man named Samuel, who the Lord raises up for his people, Samuel finds a king. And funny enough, the people choose this man named Saul. He looks great, he looks the parts. He's actually from the very same city, Gibeah, where this atrocity was committed. It's funny how sometimes when we think we're escaping from our evil, we actually go back to the very same city and just try something a little bit different. They take this, this man named Saul and very quickly we learn what about Saul. He, he loses the word of God quickly. And so Samuel says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. The word of God came to Samuel And God says, I regret that I've made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. In other words, Samuel has not performed my word. Or Saul has not performed. And so Saul is taken away from his kingship. But the Lord is not done speaking. And so he raises up another person, another king. And what's his name? David and David comes to the throne and David's going to do the word of the Lord. In fact, David is so excited about the word. Of the Lord. Have you ever read the Psalms? He loves the word of God. Psalm 19. And when David comes to the throne, he's promised by God in 2 Samuel chapter seven, he's promised a throne, a kingdom that will last forever. But even David Do you remember what he does? David murders a friend and takes his friend's wife for his own. David snaps. He breaks the word of God. And even David cannot fulfill the word of God. It seems hopeless at this point. If you're reading through the scriptures, it feels hopeless. All these promises of God, but we can never hold on to the word. And what happens for the next several hundred years is that over and over and over again, kings are raised up and then they fall. Kings are raised up and then they fall. There's a northern kingdom. There's a southern kingdom. Maybe you know these two. One becomes Israel. One becomes Judah. The northern kingdom is destroyed pretty quickly because they split. And then there's one more kingdom on the bottom. It's Judah, the capital of Jerusalem. And even Judah, they turn away from the Lord and they fall. Because where the word of God is, there is life. And where it's absent, there's death. So Judah falls and Judah's destroyed and taken into captivity. But even then, the Lord is not finished speaking. And the Lord keeps raising up prophets. Maybe you see it in the back of the Old Testament. The prophets are the people who speak the word of God. And one of these prophets, he's named Jeremiah, which is my name. And Jeremiah comes up, and he says some of the most beautiful verses in all of the scriptures. It's in Jeremiah chapter 31. Here's what he says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And that verse goes on to say, not like the old covenant that you broke, this one will be unbreakable. And in this covenant, I will put my law within them And I will write it on their hearts. It's like, it's like our hearts are stone tablets that are so heavy and so hard, but he writes in on the stone tablets of our hearts, his own word so that we can have life. And I will remember their sins, everything that you've ever done wrong. I will remember it no more. This is a promise from God. So then the Old Testament finishes up. The last prophet, his name is Malachi, which is the name of my younger brother because my parents didn't want to have any more kids. So that was it. And Malachi is the last person in the Old Testament. Guys, we just went through the whole Old Testament. How are we feeling? Wow, that was underwhelming. Okay, uh, Malachi finishes out the Old Testament. And after Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years where the word of God does not speak and it feels like he is finished. But then there's a voice that cries out in the wilderness. John the Baptist comes and he says, somebody's coming who's gonna do all the things that we always wanted him to do. And then Jesus Christ is born. And all the prophets who had said all those things when Isaiah had said unto us a child is born and to us a son has been given, there's this guy named Jesus that comes. And here's what John chapter one, verse 14 says about this time. So the word became human. The word became human. All of the scriptures of the Old Testament, all of this became human. Human. Because this is what teaches us how to be complete as a man or woman of God. This is what teaches us how to be human. He became what we were always meant to be. And he came to dwell with us in our home. He left his. And he was full of unfailing, unfailing. Though we failed so many times in our love, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the father's one and only son. We've seen it. And so Jesus walks on this earth, and when he walks on this earth, he does things that nobody has ever done before. And he says hard things, because the word of God confronts, and he says beautiful things, and he's amazing. But what happens to the word of God? He's rejected. In fact, this little baby they throw him up on a wood slab called the cross because they can't take the word of God. It's too much. They throw him up on the cross and then you know what they do when they throw that man up on the cross? They break the word. Yet again, we broke him again. All of that, God spoke for so long and they broke him on the cross. And You know what the last words of Jesus were? It is finished. And you would expect that that's all that God has to give us, right? He's done speaking. That's it. He gave us everything He had. But even then, God was not finished speaking. Hallelujah. And so, what happens when Jesus comes in contact with death? When, when Satan tries to take down this word? it finds that Jesus is a little bit different than we are because Jesus is not boxed in like the words that we understand. In fact, Paul says this to Timothy. We read it a couple weeks ago. You know what he says about the word? But Timothy, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. So when death comes at Jesus, you know what it finds? It finds life. Here's the thing, when you have darkness in a room, You can't shine darkness into a room. Darkness is just the absence of light. You can't make darkness. So when light and darkness are together, light wins. When life and death are together, death is just the absence of life. You can't create death. Death only takes life. But what if death meets life that is eternal? What if death meets life that never ends and never even began? Death is gone. And what if the word of Satan which is meant to accuse and meant to make us less than we were meant to be? What if that comes in contact with an eternal word? And what if Jesus is up with God because he was raised to life and he's sitting at the right seat of the Father and Jesus is speaking a better word with his blood than Satan has ever spoke? So if you believe, here's here's the practicality behind this if you believe it's as if everything that Jesus did is yours because when Jesus became human, he married the eternal word that has always been kept and perfect to us and put us together. And now humanity can't be separated from that eternal word. So if you believe that that's the truth, if you want the word, if we want the word, he will write it on our hearts so that we can never break it. The story goes on a little bit more because God keeps speaking. And we'll wrap up thinking about Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two comes. Jesus says, you need to be given the spirit of truth. You need to be given the spirit. You need my spirit within you. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us. And when you have the spirit of Jesus in you, you have the word of God within you. And you know what happens when Pentecost comes, it's that day in Acts chapter, you know what happens immediately when it comes? Everybody goes out and they preach the word of God. Because when you get the spirit of Jesus, when you become like Jesus, you have to talk about the word because there's no better word. You have to. When Paul is writing to Timothy, he's pleading with Timothy. He's begging Timothy to look at all the words in his life and to say that there is one that is actually worthy of Timothy. And he's saying this to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you want to express so much, but you can't ever express yourself in these little words, these little boxes that you've got. But there is a word where you can be fully all of who you were created to be, and that's in Jesus. Then he says one more thing. He says, Timothy, you know, a time is coming. A day is coming when this man, Jesus, the word is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, (laughs) there's going to be a book that's opened. And if your name is written in that book, if you have the word of God in you, if you're with the word of God, then you'll be raised to new life. And if you don't, Timothy, then you can stick with your little boxes and you can stick with your little words and eventually you'll end up in Gabia. in hell. So Timothy, don't you dare get bored of the word of God. Don't you dare get bored with the word of God, why? Because the word of God has never gotten bored with you and you are far less interesting. (laughs) So here's my plea to you, Timothy. Don't waste your words and don't waste your breath because it is his breath and his life. The word of God is life. Amen, let us pray.